everybody. This is Derek Hart, the founder and chairman of the Control System Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, CSE. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. On May 17, 2023, we initiated a series of events focused on cybersecurity for the transportation sectors. We kicked it off with a five-hour symposium about cybersecurity for planes, trains, and automobiles, and we included some boats in that, too. As an added bonus, we decided to divide our amazing panels that day into four podcasts to go with the series. If you visit our website at www.csa.org, cs2ai.org, you can click in the yellow bar at the top of the page and see all the upcoming events in our 100 Days of Cybersecurity for Transportation. You'll also be entered in the 100 Days series prize wheel, where we'll be giving away over $2,000 worth of prizes at the end of the series, and the details of how to do that are described during each of the events. Thanks for listening in, and we hope to see you soon at one of our live CSA online events over the next couple of months. Take care. Be well. So with no further ado, uh, I want to invite my next two panelists on to the Maritime uh, panel. Maritime party started here. Um, um, and we may have a third, uh, n- not panelist today, but third Maritime expert doing an individual follow-on session. So we got we got a lot of people, you know, a few people who couldn't make today, but still want to contribute. So uh, Gary and James are going to hold the fort on just the tiny topic of Maritime and how many applications there might be to cybersecurity within your industry sector? I mean, every one of these panelists is making me thinking about how much there is to be done <laughs> across all these verticals. I'm excited to get into this one. As a former Navy officer, uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in shipboard systems. And uh, I was thinking, always thinking about my first ship, which has been cut into razor blades by now. But uh, I understand the networks on modern uh, ships are quite something. And my 1972 amphibious assault ship did not have much in the way of networks, but uh, more than on your three masted sailing vessel. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why don't we do a little introduction? Uh, Go ahead, uh, Gary. Um, Well, hi there, everybody. Um, So you can see up on the slide. um, I'm actually a retired professor of cybersecurity, and I now um, I I retired a couple of years ago. I I now actually wear more hats than I wore when I was working full time, which is something my wife continues to marvel at. Um, I've actually been in the information security field since the late 1970s. Um, I've been engaged in maritime cyber probably for the last five and a half, six years. Uh, my COVID-19 project was to write a book on maritime cyber because it's something near and dear to my heart for uh, for possibly different reasons than Derek's. Well, like I said, right now, I pretty much devote my life to being in, on, under and about the water. You blended. I mean, I like this. I'm thinking I'm still like, uh, you know, in landlocked Atlanta, Georgia, but I love the water and I need to, you know, I want to get back to it. So cybersecurity and being out on the water, I got to I got to maybe, you know, follow up with you on how you. The, the, the scuba diving in Atlanta apparently is awful. Well, that's, I have not figured out the direct nexus between scuba diving and, and my greatest passion other than what we do here. Uh, yeah, I've got to figure out those two, and, and maybe uh, then I'll be on to something. All right, James, you're up next. Hi, James Cave, uh, cybersecurity specialist, but I spent uh, my formative years at BBN Planet. Uh, and if you're old enough to remember who that is, then uh, you probably have a few gray hairs on your head. And then um, got uh, specifically into... Uh, some retail and some uh, foreign national critical infrastructure at at some points in time at Singapore and a few other places. And then uh, ostensibly got into oil and gas. Um, You know, uh, uh, the greater part of my crew actually still, I think, works over in the OT cyber side in Fortinet, uh, which was one of my first uh, forays into 
on the, the vendor side uh, whenever it came to it. I spent some time with CyberX doing quite a few things over there uh, that got bought up by Microsoft. And then I've made it into more of the IoT realm. As a matter of fact, I have my own startup uh, that's uh, currently in its second MVP iteration for uh, actually recreating an HMI uh, that's chaos resilient. Uh, that's no longer a Windows uh, no, no longer Windows-based HMI. So, uh, hey, if you know any investors, let me know. But anyways, I've been doing this stuff for a very, very long time. Um, you know, I come at it from both on the networking side as well as uh, the automation side of the house. Uh, way less maritime experience than Gary, but more from an oil and gas bend. So anchoring systems tend to have kind of a near and dear thing to my heart, uh, as well as vibration and a mud logging and a few other things like that. So maybe just a slightly different angle uh, than Gary at the whole thing, which is, uh, I think, what makes uh, us this a, a good panel, you know, to, to get on. So why don't we do what we've done with the other two panels? Why don't you guys make sort of uh, any kind of formative overarching statement or position um, in this space? And, you know, I think what we're getting great exposure here is that there's commonalities between the verticals, but then there's some things that are maybe different, some constraints or could be opportunities. Maybe it's not all negative, um, you know, that are that apply to these different subspaces within it. So I think. Uh, people are interested. I know I am in, in sort of your the nuances of cybersecurity and cybersecurity for industrial or control systems is pretty broad. And when you get into into this uh, subsector of all the things related to, to maritime, and as you point out, James, it's it's there's slivers even within that, uh, all kinds of different aspects within even within maritime. So what 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 what, what opening remarks might you share with everybody? Uh, you know, I, I was on just in time to see the the last poll about, you know, which infrastructure is the most critical. And and, and so I, I suspect that James and I advertently or inadvertently will make the claim, no, it's us, it's us. But so one of the, I, I guess, baseline comments I would make is that if you were to ask most people if the United States was a maritime nation, almost all would say no. You know, yeah, I, uh, I, I know somebody with a boat who's taken me out fishing or, you know, I've seen, um, you know, luxury liners of the rich and famous. I don't think that most people in the country recognize that 80 to 90 percent of the goods that come into this country come in by ship. I don't think we realize that 20 to 25 percent of the gross domestic product and about 30 million jobs come from maritime. Um, maritime is essential for this nation's um, homeland security, national defense, energy security, food security economic security, and our very way of life. As cyber increases in value in terms of being an existential threat to the information that makes maritime move, it becomes an existential threat actually to our society. Um, I mean, if planes were to stop flying tomorrow, I think we would all be very, very sad, but we'd figure it out. If all the ships stop floating, we are in deep, deep trouble. Because we're no longer a nation that is totally independent of the rest of the world. Quite the contrary, we're totally dependent upon everybody else. And that's why we need, you know, 80 or 90,000 commercial vessels going back and forth between nations. That's a strong formative statement. Just the, the, and I like how you tied it to the poll. Everybody's got a different perspective, but you, you brought in like, you know, how vital, how critical. You know, and I don't think a lot of us think about in terms of the things we end up on our table, you know, food and, and, and let's say essential household items, all this, where those come from and all the steps that, that those things take to get there. We just want them there. 
And the COVID showed us, the COVID period, the pandemic, that even a slight disruption and all of a sudden certain things run out because of the way the supply chain system works. And there were ships trapped offshore and all this sort of thing. So cybersecurity affecting, really affecting a, a lot of us or all of us, this is a sector where that applies. I get it. That makes sense. Gary, that's an excellent comment. Uh, just in the volume, you know, uh, shipping be able to take the volume. You, I would make a, a, a bolder statement saying you can't be a global, you can't be a global economy without a maritime, you know, without shipping. So I did, I'm going to make a comment on, on your last poll as well. You know, one of the things that we never really did, and I've actually joined INL, Cyber Informed Engineering. I don't know if everybody on this this uh, this panel may, may know about that as well. Uh, but I joined INL, uh, INL's uh, Cyber Informed Engineering. One, one of the, the biggest problems we have is we did not early on concentrate on high consequence events. That was not in everybody's risk register. And so, uh, and I've even said it a billion times that we haven't because there's no tool for it yet. There's a tool for automated asset management. There's a, a tools for, for attack surface management. There's a bunch of these tools that are now exist that actually have commercial viability and are making, you know, uh, maybe unicorn status in, in, um, in the cybersecurity realm. But, but there's still nothing to, to help us deal with the, the high consequence events. And that is not a risk management framework. The, the high consequence events are very, very specific to bad things happening you know, nobody's going to say, oh, our risk level is at 80 percent today and then go and, oh, everybody be a little bit more careful. That's just not going to happen. Right. <laughs> that doesn't just translate to reality. I, I will say we just aren't there yet. And I don't think we're going to be uh, for a while until there is some way to assess and record and create and do a st- almost a digital twin and, and be able to even you know, s- scaling up. Uh, when it comes to high uh, high consequence events engineering uh, or HCE, and, um, and I, I think until we reach then, we're still not there yet. So we have quite a way to go until we're we're at that point. And uh, I'd like to see it happen. Yeah, that's my that's my overarching statement. We've got a whole long way to go, even though we've got a whole bunch of really cool stuff right now. So yeah, I, I've asked that sort of uh, here and there on events for people to grade their industry. You know, A, a through F. We had a lot of us used to that for schooling. You know, where where where's the where's the industry? Not picking on solid. A- Solid D minus from a from a from a 50 before. So but we're at a solid D minus right now because at least we're trying. Right. At least we're trying. We got really, really fancy people out there giving really cool talks like Robert Lee and, you know, uh, uh, people like Gary, uh, your yourself, Derek. So at least we're talking about the problem, which means you're sort of trying to do your homework, which is solid D minus work. Doing the homework is a completely different story. Otherwise, we wouldn't have people winning the pipeline, you know, pipeline winning because we literally had a high consequence event less than two years ago, right about two years ago. Three, three, I forget three, May, 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 three years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right about right. So um, uh, I only say because I got contracted for a few things directly after that, that, you know, uh, yeah, the side gig stuff and everything else that, hey, come in and help us out with some some things. You Incident know, a, a drive more. a lot of behaviors, right? High, high pro, higher profile, the more then drive some behavior. Have there been? I mean, Gary, before I ask other questions, yeah, you're, you're, what do you what do you think? Well, I, I was actually going to ask though, was the pipeline as it impacted most of us? Was it the business systems or was it the OT systems? Oh, it, it was us- yes. To not have gas. A company that has operating technology, but it was an attack on the billing system. Exactly. Now, I, and we've pulled, we've asked polls, we've talked about, we had some events on that, and we've touched on it in subsequent, you know, periods. That that is, you know, should be in considered attack on uh, on an OT company. 
in that human beings at the company made a decision and the OT system was affected. But yes, it was not technically attacked uh, on on the OT system. Well, you know, it, it's it's like okay, how do you sh- how do you attack a logistics company or a logistics system, right? You you go and attack the ordering computers, which doesn't allow you right. to get the orders sure. in, right? right? And do the billing and see what's going on, and what's coming in. A pipeline's just a logistics company. That's all it is. You have to put products in the pipeline, right? Uh, everybody thinks that uh, you know pipelines are just one thing, flowing this one thing all the time. That is not true, right? A pipeline can actually sure. uh, you know uh, ship out you know something you know down the pipeline over a period of time that it's heavy oil for a little bit, and then all of a sudden they put light crude in there, and then the next uh, the, the, they're they're doing you know bunker fuel or something else like that in the pipeline. Pipelines can flow a lot of different things. Now, do they tend to flow you know just uh, one thing? Yes and no, right? Because there's different orders. There's different weights because remember this pipeline was actually to go up to to be cracked to be actually produced into gasoline or to petrol products uh, as well as the other products. So it's it's like pre-cracked, pre-produced oil. So you know there, there was a lot of different garbage that was actually in there, including sulfates and you know all H2S gas and all kinds of other types of stuff that was flowing in that thing. But you get a certain amount of it um, that you have to do almost like a logistics company. So people forget that about pipelines. That they are they are operated just like a shipping container uh, right. uh, ship, and there's almost no difference between them. So, um, you know, I just still under, don't understand pipelines because it only affected a, a portion of the country, really. Uh, granted, it's the the one of the loudest portions of the country, you know, up there in New York. Nothing is New Yorkers. I lived there for a little while. It's okay. So, but they do scream quite quite a bit, uh, you know, amongst all their big power outages, which begat EPRI pipeline outages and things like that. So people tend to to get a lot more legislation out of it just because of the population density. But um, I'm still going to say maritime is the worst one, and we saw that on the back end of the supply chain issues, uh, just after having one ship because of its navigation get stuck in a small tiny canal, and all of a sudden your prices go up across and and still have yet to go down. Right. Uh, after that incident, that was almost like the killing the gorilla incident whenever it comes to trolling on the Internet. Right. All of a sudden, that was the, the the point where we can say, hey, look, at this point in time it was an inception point. Right at that point, all of a sudden, everything started getting more expensive on the product side. And it's not a coincidence. So so, so you make a, a point, though, that I think is pretty important for all of these discussions. And that is, you know, I occasionally will run into people who will say maritime cyber. What's the big deal? Just do cyber correctly and you're all right. And and it is true that if I look at a shipping company or a logistics company or an airline, they're the same as every other business in the universe, except they run pipelines and or I also own a ship or I also own an airplane. The business end is the same as everybody else's. It's the ship that's different. It's the port that's different. And it's the systems that are unique to our industry that make it different. Hmm. And I don't want to steal it thunder because he'll do a follow-on event, but one of the panelists that they couldn't make today, when he and I were talking, he was talking about the the complete change in communication and bandwidth to ships that's changing right now, that that means like, but we're not just steadily moving along. There's problems in maritime cybersecurity that we're running, we're entering a new phase where there'll be all sorts of exploitability because bandwidth is getting higher, higher bandwidth for cheaper cost right now. I, ju- I was just at Hack the Port. What was it? A year and a half, two years ago. 
Um, and I was talking to some of the people that you used to work for, Gary, you know, back in the day when you were serving, you know, they, they would have to go do an audit. They actually had to bring, they saw I had my hack uh, RF1, you know, uh, bringing it around with me because I wanted to show people, you know, you uh, this one? that's the one. Yeah, exactly. I, I, uh, I was just looking for cellular. I was just doing cellular, you know, band monitoring, just seeing what pings I got out of it. Cause I had a nice little earbud that goes with it just to, just to give me the audio feedback. So I stick it in my pocket or in my backpack. And all of a sudden, every time I get a ping, all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, you know, I'll look at br- bring it out and look at it and see, see what's going on. Right. And so you can basically bug hunt for modems uh, built directly into different ship subsystems because almost every portion sure. of a ship is uh, is like a skid, you know, like you buy it whole, you know, propulsion system is a skid inside of a thing. A navigation right. system is a skid inside of a thing. And and for all the people listening that don't understand process skids, it's it's a thing, an out business outcome that gets delivered, right? Like I want to move a ship. Great. You get a propulsion system, right? I want to tell the ship which way to go. Oh, great. You get a, you get a navigation system. I want to make a ship stop in place, you know, where I want it to. Great. You go get an anchoring system, right? So like that's, now, granted, some of them talk right. with each other. They have to, right? But uh, but at the same time, you're ordering that thing. And sometimes it's from diverse, different uh, companies. And they have to come in and support their stuff. So, you know, what does some of them do? Oh, well, you know, it's going to be near shore. I'm not going to go send a, a person out there just to check and see if the microcode on something needs to be updated. I'm going to stick a modem on it. <laughs> well, and, and so then you have problems. So And, and, and many people here um, that, you know, when they, they probably don't think about down to the bit level, you know, luckily that's where I live. But, you know, you think about protocols and everybody here has, you know, we've all got Wi-Fi and I'm sure that we've secured our Wi-Fi and that's very, very nice. <laughs> um, ships are still using protocols that were designed um, in the early 1980s or using other protocols that were designed for automobiles in the 1980s and, or and 1990s. Us. And yes, if sir. they're modern, they're using a protocol that was designed in 2001. So, I mean, it's not like there is gross modernization going on where we're, we're trying to, of course, design with security in mind. Um, but that is probably a recurring theme that you've heard today. And if you have it, you should. Is that there are too many systems that are being built and then we're tacking on security at the end, which is wasteful in time, money and effectiveness. And that that retrofitting story is true in a lot of verticals. But sure. with ships, you're talking about average age. I don't know what it, I mean, you happen to know what it is. It'd be back some years, right? There's lots of vessels out there that are 20, 20 years on average, I yeah, believe, least, for yeah. most of them. Um, you, now, your retrofitting uh, technologies, like new communication technologies, get bolted onto those ships. So, right, right. Uh, the ship may be one age, but it's a system. Like well, you said, the, the, the cost of going onto a ship and ripping out the technology and updating. Um, I mean, you, you might be talking about $100,000 to $150,000 if you're lucky. And so now consider that you're a fleet and you have 10, 20, 200 ships. And somebody says, oh, 150K a crack. Um, I mean, this is nothing that's going to happen anytime overnight. Now, couldn't there not be, though, a driver as bandwidth goes way up and cost goes down? And now we can do things. We can monitor all this real-time data. Uh, that maybe was less possible, you know, camera feeds, security, all sorts of well, things are connected by being able to cheaply get data off the ship. That's my you understanding. That. Yeah, you see that in the entertainment business quite a bit. Don't mean to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Sorry, but to, you know, you said something very, you know, that got my 
uh, I had to had to say something right then before we got past it uh, was the uh, entertainment uh, business, right? So your Carnival, your Royal Caribbeans, uh, your your Nash, uh, you know the HCLs and and you know et cetera, so on and so forth. MCS is you know uh, I, I don't want to miss anybody because I don't want to make anybody mad, but uh, uh, the those you see that in the entertainment because they're always getting refitted, right? So uh, their whole thing is to make the ship look nice and to actually do guest services. Well, when you connect guest services, all of a sudden you get all this bandwidth. You know, the arrays on top of those those uh, ships now look incredibly large, right? And they're flowing, you know, now almost gigabits of data, especially as they close get closer to shore. So, so you see that in a lot of those sorts of things. Tugs are another one where you have a lot of services that actually have to go off a tug, and a tug has to communicate. And since they're near shore, you see them flowing gigs of data. Lots and lots of sensor data around them, um, positioning data, all these kinds of things. So you you definitely see that in a couple arenas, but the vast majority of them, you know, uh, like Gary said, it's just they're going to be almost like stranded mechanisms running ancient protocols that are sometimes not even over IP networks. They're just uh, you know ship to shore radio, uh, and in many cases are satellite, right? And then the satellites all CDMA or TDMA of some sort that goes up and down and goes to a specific serial based or or packet based control system that doesn't even speak you know IP at all. Um, so so you still see some of that and the GPS stuff they do get refitted with is easily messed with. I don't know if you have ever dealt with uh, you know uh, GPS and 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 uh, you know any kind of uh, you know ab- not abstraction but attacks on it uh, and then sensing of attacks. But it's it's its whole. That's a whole other sub piece of what we're going to be talking about on the maritime side, because GPS means so much in maritime planes as well, to to some degree less so because of the way they communicate. And they've got towers watching out for them. Ships almost have none of that anymore. There there are there are these uh, port systems and things like that and whole port operating systems. But that's only usually when they get near near to port, when they're out, uh, you know, uh, navigating in the navigation lanes. It less so of that, right? And so you're dealing a lot more with satellite and you know lots of latency. And then, like I said, sometimes some of them, uh, especially the older ones, don't even run IP-based networks or anything else like that. So you you see that, but it's it's uh it, it just depends on the industry and 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 the actual type of type of uh, ship or boat. I would add that um, more bandwidth definitely does not give me more security. Quite the contrary, yeah. and and in fact, I suspect that there are vulnerabilities sitting out there waiting for the technology to catch up so that the technology can be exploited with the vulnerabilities where do you know about yeah that makes that makes sense and and, and that bandwidth and more connectivity to ships means more surfaces uh, or opportunities to find yeah. them right yeah more yeah. of an attack surface yeah that makes sense you know we're talking about the age of these ships it makes sense i i get what you're saying james about even within shipping then or even in maritime there's these slices and some have to be progressive there's probably some out there. I don't want to pick one particular kind of ship, but probably, you know, some old transport ship with, you know, old rusty containers. They're not going to upgrade anything. So there's these different prioritization schemes and ownership groups and what they want to invest. There's also, though, brand new ships. Uh, let's talk about automated ships. Uh, here's a question. Norway and Denmark are moving and testing fully autonomous ships and taking human engineers off the ship. Who would have thought the Vikings, of all folks, were moving sailors from ships? Any comments, gents? Well, it's not just the Norwegians. There, there's been a push for autonomy um, on on ships that, well, I mean, the, the, the efforts have gone back five plus years. There have been a, a significant number of autonomous ship projects um, in China, Korea, Japan, 
Scandinavian countries. I mean, a lot of the Asian countries. Um, the U.S. I think is a little bit behind this in in commercial vessels, but of course we only have 87 flagged vessels, so um, I, I guess I wouldn't see a whole lot out of here. But when I think about autonomy and 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 various stages of autonomy and the whole idea of you know industry 4.0 catching up with uh, maritime. And the idea of building smart ports and smart ships and crewless vessels, there's, of course, the whole concept of the fact that we're digitalizing everything. And James already made allusion to sensors and things. And and so I, I guess what I would throw out to, to people that are not familiar with this is imagine a ship um, and or a port, for that matter, that had sensors everywhere, so much so that as the port master, I know at every single berth, what is the salinity, the water temperature, the water depth, the water speed, the water direction. And if I'm the master of a vessel, pull up my cell phone and I can look at a dashboard where I know everything about the point where I am in the port to the berth to which I am being directed. Oh, and by the way, I have so many sensors on my ship that I know um, information down to the granularity of how much stress is on the dock lines. I can anticipate a dock line breakage way before it occurs, and I can replace that dock line before the damage happens. Not to mention, again, knowing myself, what is my water depth? What's my salinity? What's uh, temperature? All that kind of stuff. The amount of information is incredible. Now, none of that is a surprise because all of us have seen computers get faster, cheaper, smaller, and all that, that kind of stuff. But now the dependence on information is so absolute that if that information is not correct and valid and authentic, we have significant problems because that's when mistakes can either happen by error or they can be forced errors by an external actor. So the, the whole digitalization of the maritime industry, while it's exciting on the one hand, um, it is potentially terrifying on the other. Yeah, I, I, in my mind, as you listed some of those off, I thought of, oh, great, that'd be cool to have, that'd be cool to have as a, I, you know, I used to be a ship driver and we didn't have anything like any of that. And, and then it has all these unintended consequences because we become reliant on that. And then we have a whole generation probably of future employees and ship drivers and ship decision makers who don't know anything other than relying on those, then our vulnerability really sets in. Well, you have a lot of people who don't know how to use a sextant and can't drive with a seaman's eye. Yeah. Well, I got out in I got out of the Navy in the 90s and I I, I was told I was one of the last groups uh, that learned anything about shooting the sunlight or the stars and that they discontinued it shortly thereafter. Well, they don't know Morse code, Morse code either. You know, there's, there's like, there's, yeah. I can keep, we can keep going down that, that path. That's a, yeah. Path. but yeah, I was going to say to some degree, guys, we're already there. <laughs> we're already a lot well, of automation Naval, of the ships. Yeah, so. the, the, the Naval Academy did stop teaching sectants apparently in the late nineties, but they did bring it back in the mid, eh, maybe 15 or so. Ah. Um, and I mentioned this to my buddies at the Coast Guard Academy who proudly say we never stop teaching about sex. <laughs> because <All right. laughs> you have to go out on the eagle at some point, you know. Yeah. Well, smart dust is is making its way here. And I predicted a while back ago at an IoT conference, I think in 2014, 2013, when I was giving a speech uh, before a lot of this stuff really got kicked off and I was still considered a crazy 
uh, especially when it came to the OT side of the house. Oh, we need more cybersecurity. Oh, no, no it's all air gap. You know, which we find out later on that was never the case. Did you um, but water gap? I mean, uh, air gap. I mean, I, that's common. What about water gap? Was that a thing? Uh, it, it's still air gap. I mean, we're still talking about, you know, uh, not uh, physically disconnected systems, but water gap is kind of cool because, uh, well, uh, th- there's very long, there's very long cables that get trailed out behind so- certain boats, uh, that would, uh, that would literally give you a water gap, but it also allow you to communicate. Right. So via, uh, very long or the, those very long antennas, very low frequency, uh, BLF stuff is, is, a, still a very big part of a lot of what a lot of what people do for communications, uh, obviously in, in, in more military, uh, than, 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 than anything else. But anyways, I, I digress, but smart dust um is already to here to some degree if you've seen the number of buoys and the early warning systems that have already been deployed especially um where places have been hit before because my my brother was out uh in the early teens uh, uh, or aughts was it um picking up uh people's bodies off off of a, a certain beach down in indonesia right so um after that lots of that stuff got deployed uh, down there because he's a marine, uh, you know, out the ex- one of the expeditionary forces that, that was out there actually helping to recover. And after that, we started seeing a huge growth of of these smart buoys. And I will tell you, it got it will get to a different level now that we have uh, constellations like uh, your um, uh, Starlink uh, satellite communications. Um, those smart ships uh, will be pushed by that or enabled by that, and they'll be pushed by the fact that we're getting away from bunker fuel. Because if you know how dirty bunker fuel is, well, then you you kind of understand why we're getting away from even some of the bigger boats. So I think we've seen as big as boats are going to get, um, you know, because we see the shenanigans that can occur with gigantic boats as well. And I think we're going to start seeing smaller boats. And as they drive smaller boats, we're going to have to have less and less people unless we want to drive the cost up on everything. So I think this is all going to be driven, as most things should be, through sheer capitalism uh, and cost structures. Um, it's going to be a lot cheaper to run a boat for 30 to 40 years that's completely automated than it is having humans on a big one uh, for that period of time. And that's just the way things are going to be. So um, as much as I think it may be ill-advised not to have a human guiding them around for a little while, I think economies are just going to drive that as we've gotten more and more into drones and smart drones and things like that. And that is just the way things are going to go. If I can fly something extremely fast and actually chase a tank with it and then blow the top off of the tank, you know, uh, with a, you know, $400 robot, I can certainly drive with some of the same compute power. I can actually uh, drive an entire ship that's uh, maybe running off solar or, you know, something else that would be fairly renewable, that it'll be a smaller boat to be sure, but uh, almost fully automated. So I think we'll see the shrinkage of the boats. We'll definitely see the automation of them because of enabling technologies that are already here, that, uh, that this is just what's going to drive it. Economies will drive it. So as much as I think it's ill-advised at this point because of cybersecurity, it's going to happen because of, of uh, the money driver. And that's just it. Yeah, this is the genie out of the bottle scenario. And I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've stood around the water cooler where very, very smart cybersecurity people, I'm, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to be negative, but who don't understand business, but totally understand cybersecurity, object to something they just heard. And I'm thinking of a particular one years ago that I, that I was like, you didn't listen to this executive, senior executive. Here's the money at stake. So put, put aside the argument of whether we should be doing this or not uh, and tar- start getting into how are we going to do this? Uh, yeah, how can we do it better? 
it's going to happen. It's going to the bottle. There's too much money at stake on that particular application or whatever. So poo-pooing, it's not going to work out. So, um, and, and the, here's the quote of the day. Poo-pooing is not going to work out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, that's the reason why I created what I did. I wanted a chaos resilient control system. Uh, can you make something that can be attacked and, and, and move out of the way and have a moving target defense literally on something that's supposed to be controlling something physical. And so that was what our MVP was based on, but for the electrical grid, because, you know, they were, you know, we heard lots and lots of stuff about the electric grid getting attacked. You know, they, they, they did shields up and a lot of people started having better hygiene. So all of a sudden my market dried up really, really quickly. And now we're going after solar on uh, microgrids and things like that, you know, with the next version of the MVP for my startup, but you know, it'll get there. And yes, indeed, we will get brittle operating systems like windows um, which is brittle on purpose because you want to play video games with it and hack it up and do all the things like that. We will get to something more mutable and ephemeral and a moving target uh, eventually. And then we won't have some of the problems we currently have today. The problems of tomorrow are not going to be the problems of today. Right. Let's so, talk about the systems. I, You're talking about technologies and people have asked some questions today. Is it, are we going to find the same stuff? Siemens and ABB over here on land and Siemens and ABB over here. Are there distinct systems or communication protocols or things that you only find in maritime? What is the cross? Oh, yeah. Gary, you go ahead on this one. (laughs) You go start. Yeah. Uh, I've never heard anybody describe Windows as brittle on purpose before. I I, I was sure they thought it was uh, resilient. I mean, in its own way, it is. But they they started it. I mean, the whole point of it was you're supposed to be able to hack it and do whatever you want to. If, If I can start installing something in my software myself, which is what you're supposed to do with those operating systems, you're already brittle. You know, that's, sorry, you're done. I can modify it. Oh, wait, it's brittle, right? Boom, done. It's not immutable and you can't change it. Okay, now we can talk about something. Now you got a state machine. Now it's more built for OT, but Windows is not built for OT. Never was. Oh, God, no. No, no, it certainly wasn't. But uh, but it's everywhere. Windows 3X, as my, my audit friends say, I still find three point something machines out there. Uh, I've done this for Windows a long time. I understand completely. It was my favorite Windows operating system. And I believe my favorite last. My favorite is the last time I saw a dam. Yes, a, a dam control system with generators and sluice gates and all those sorts of things. The software got started up with, with a batch file on a Windows Vista computer. That was my favorite so far. Oh, but well, <laughs> so it seems like the appropriate response to that is damn, but I'm not swearing. Uh, just, so, okay. Hey, everybody, Derek Harp here. And I just want to take a brief moment to thank three companies that make this podcast series possible. The first company is Waterfall Security Solutions. They led the charge this year for the podcast, and they specifically sponsored it from their podcast, the Industrial Security Podcast. So check that out. That's a great linkage to an entire other series of over 100 episodes. They had their anniversary recently focused on control system cybersecurity, and they were supported this year by KPMG and Fortinet. We could not do this without them. These companies not only have supported this podcast series this year, but they've supported CSA since its very early days eight years ago, and we're entirely grateful to the teams and dedicated professionals at Waterfall Security Solutions, KPMG, and Fortinet. So, so I, I, I didn't know, Derek, if, if you were leading into what are some of the specific issues or, dare I say, yeah. challenges. Oh, in cyber, right? I think, Gary, let's yeah. do that. Let's dive into it and say, OK, we've, we've over the space of you know, certainly our events, we've talked about so many different verticals. This is the first time we've touched on maritime. What are some of the distinctions? Some of the distinctions. Well, I, I, I actually have a. I have a flurry of, of comments and I've had to make myself notes so I can keep them a little bit straight. James already um, you know, mentioned this a little bit, but worth going into a lot more detail. I think one of the biggest challenges that we have in, in maritime deals with our navigation systems. So first, we can start with GPS. 
um, it, particularly if you want something brittle. So everybody's familiar with GPS and we're familiar that uh, with it that you know it's on my phone, it's on my car, I can use it to get to the grocery store. What we don't think about the the most critical element of GPS is now used for timing, which is essential for digital networks. Because if I have a high-speed digital network, I can send my data out at you know a gazillion bits per second. If I'm the transmitter and you're the receiver, you and I have to agree when is the beginning and end of a bit time. We can only do that if we have very precise clocks. We get the clocks from GPS. So if GPS fails, I will not be able to use my cell phone to call the power company to tell them that the electricity is out. So the ability to spoof and jam GPS and negatively impact the timing signal is one big issue. Um, the automatic identification system, which is used on certainly all big ships that provide situational awareness within the maritime space so that vessels know where other vessels are in the immediate area, as well as maritime authorities know where vessels are to the extent that I know where the vessels are. I know their course their heading, their speed, their rate of turn, their destination, their cargo, all this kind of stuff. It is very, very easy to spoof GPS. Again, um, a protocol designed in the 90s. It became uh, mandated about 20, 21 years ago, and no security mechanisms at all were built into AIS. And how um, we're going to address that um, certainly is an issue. We're already seeing AIS spoofing being used to allow um, shipping fleets to evade sanctions or avoid sanctions, sending um, fishing fleets into other nations' waters, which not only impacts the number of fish, but it affects the other nations' economic and food security as well. Um, and, and we've seen this all over the place. One of the other issues that we have, and it's related with many maritime systems as well, is the lack of resiliency in these systems. My academic background is in mathematics and computer science, um, which is an important point only because of some of the things I'm going to say about engineers, mathematicians, and computer scientists. Is engineers a, by training. Theory? It's something like like people walk in a bar. Is, that, is there a punchline to that? Not there that. is going to be. Um, so um, engineers, by and large, um, are, are trained in in solution space. You know, give me a problem, I'll come up with a solution. And so one of the one of the maxims in 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 cyber um, addresses the very fact that we tend to build our systems believing that nature is our enemy, and therefore I understand failure rates and repair rates and reaction rates all stochastically because I understand nature. So GPS, for example. If one of the satellites breaks, it realizes that, you know, it, it has a health bit and it indicates, oh, yeah, my, my, my health is not where it's supposed to be. And basically it's taken out of the constellation and one of the spare satellites takes its place. And that spare satellite learns everything it needs to know from the other, you know, 30, 31 satellites that are orbiting around. What GPS is not built for is resiliency against Vladimir Putin deciding to take them all out at once, something that has been threatened repeatedly. And the capability has been demonstrated repeatedly. What are we going to do if GPS disappears? We don't have that that kind of re resilience in our systems. Jim mentioned the, uh, the the every given earlier, and you know, I it is not a laughing matter at all. Mm -hmm. 
But um, I have had a number of people say to scenarios that have been postured, you know, suppose I send a ship a little bit off course and kill Van Cull. Oh, no, 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 that can't happen. The pilots won't let that happen. Well, the Ever Given got off course with two pilots on board in the middle of the day. Now, maybe it was because they had two pilots arguing with each other, but and that may be another problem. But, the, but that is part of the resilience issues that we have. Um, you know, we're, we keep be- building our boats bigger and bigger, going into narrower, narrow channels. We've already talked about the automation and the digitalization, um, which is going to look very, very different on vessels than it will look in almost any other space, particularly because of automatic, uh, automated navigation that will also need to take place. I think one of the things we also have in maritime that we have it in other spaces as well, but it, but it's an important problem for maritime is dealing with what I call an oblique attack. An oblique attack meaning something like this. I want to lower the effectiveness of the U.S. Navy in, I'll choose Charleston. And so I'm going to attack the Navy. I'm not going to attack the Navy very successfully. However, how about if I attack a commercial vessel going in or out of Charleston and I caused damage to that? Remember when the Golden Ray rolled over three and a half years ago off of, I think, Savannah or Brunswick, Brunswick, Georgia? It actually didn't roll over. It started to list badly and the master ran it aground so that it wouldn't, in fact, capsize in the middle of the channel. So even though it was not an actual hazard in navigation, it shut the port for four days. My point being, where does the Navy keep its vessels at Charleston? I think in the back of the port. The commercial stuff is in the front of the port. If I want to attack the Navy, that probably won't succeed. But I'm pretty sure that I can attack a commercial vessel. And I'm not talking about the, you know, the, 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 the odyssey of the seas. I'm talking about you know, the 30-foot sea spirit, which I probably can fool and trick. And the last thing I would say, and this may be common to all of our vectors, is workforce development. And so, first of all, we have to remove cybersecurity at all levels from what I have taken to calling the tyranny of the computer science department. You already mentioned that the computer scientists don't understand business. Computer scientists don't necessarily understand information security either. I observe that we are writing the same crappy code today that we've been writing for 30 years. If you look at CIS's top 10 list of vulnerabilities with software, they match half of them, the SANS list of software vulnerabilities from 1997. Why are we writing the same crappy code? Part of it is rush to market. But there are you know, other issues in there as well. And I observe that the hacker community is running circles around the computer science community. Want proof? Pick up the newspaper. And we know every day all the stuff that's going on. So we need to take a different perspective in how we are going to build cyber defense systems. We need different thinking. We need multidisciplinary thinking way more than we've ever needed it before. We need to build a cyber safe culture. Um, I would ask, this says there's 110 viewers. I would ask the 110 viewers here, when was the last time you took your one hour annual training in the use of Microsoft Word? <laughs> say, well, that's the stupidest question I've been asked today. No. You don't need to take that because you're using Word every day. You need to take one hour annual cybersecurity training because once you walk out of the course and the shelf life of 20 minutes has elapsed, you don't think about cyber again until your organization or you gets hacked. We need to build a cyber safety culture 
so that people are using cyber defense knowledge every single day, not just in maritime, but th this, this really is um, pretty much everywhere else. I think we need to do better at information sharing and we need to have public mechanisms whereby I can find out about the vulnerabilities that are impacting my space. I, I hear about and occasionally attend the, the threat landscape update. And I find myself never compelled by the threat landscape. Verizon's DFIR, which one you're referring to, there's there's a bunch of them whenever it comes any, to it. Any of them. Gotcha. Um, if I am building a cyber defense and I am building it based upon the threat actors who might be coming after me, then mm -hmm. I will maintain that I'm building my cyber defense wrong. If no, somebody 100%. Come, uh, I said 100%. But that's the reason why uh, this year was the year of the SBOM, uh, Software Bill of Materials at S4. So if you went to the S4, uh, which is down there in Miami, ostensibly, uh, nice port city as well, right? The, this is kind of the, the explosive year for Software Bill of Materials, which is the idea that if you develop a piece of software that you need to be able to deliver it with this what did I build it with uh, type of approach, right? So, you know, it may not be something that you scan the CBE for, but you would almost have known CBEs known because of, you know, this. I've dealt with this version of Java and this version of, you know, right. uh, this version of this DLL or something along those lines. So you actually have this bill of materials that, you know, when you start using the software, that this is already going to be what the problem is going to be. And so that's kind of a more of that bottom up approach that you're using with I'm going to make my software decisions sometimes based on that. Now, this Doesn't is the first year of it. you as crazy. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm I mean, going to crazy buy we didn't a do it beforehand. and I already have been pre-advised about what the recalls are. That's crazy. Yeah. And, and yet and yet, uh, unfortunately, as you've said, uh, we are we live in an agile world until uh, a better way comes up. Uh, trying to turn back the hands of time to waterfall uh, just ain't going to work, uh, you know, at this point. So we've got to find a better way to build so, these systems. And but, but, the, but, but the common user doesn't have yeah. a software bill of material. And yep. when a new hack comes out, th this, this stuff is practically kept secret. I don't care who got hacked. I don't care why. I don't care who the threat actor was. No, it absolutely is. The traffic light protocol means a lot of it keeps is, is kept secret. I have a lot of problems with the traffic light protocol, but that well, being the point. We uh, also have information sharing that you can't that is not public. I oh, think yeah. Cisco does a, does a pretty good job um, letting us know about new vulnerabilities that are added to catalogs and stuff like that. But there's a lot of stuff that's going on that you know I, I'm finding out because. Somebody's telling me, or it's a TLP, well, and I can't it, share it with anybody. Even if, you, even if you're a part of InfraGuard, you only get Amber. You don't get anything oh. else, I and mean, it's as high as you get. And some yeah. of the more interesting things are is, is way into the red territory, and you're just not allowed to talk about it. So Exactly. Uh, it is um, what it is. It, but the vulnerability doesn't have to be red. Right, right. That's a good point. I think there's uh, I think the two of you could go for quite some time on this topic. Oh, boy. Uh, you're doing, yeah. doing follow-on events. This will be great. Um, we're, we're nearing the end of the panel. And I want to ask a question because uh, this person's asked again that it be brought up. I don't know what the acronym is. Maybe I'll kick myself and say, oh, that's what he meant. How susceptible are PIGs? Are PIGs? Yeah. No, I'm not sure what that you, I, Jim looks like he's looking it up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, inspection gauges. Oh, pipeline inspection gauges. Oh, gosh. Because I, I, when, when we say pigs, to me, 
it's the pig you put, shoot through the pipeline if we're going to talk about pipelines. So uh, pigs are a couple of different different types. One's the gauge, and the other one is extremely susceptible. Uh, vibration sensors themselves, there's a billion of them, and vibration kind of matters in a pipeline a little bit. Those alone, we can get started on about the different protocols to use. All of them fairly open and uh, all of them spoofable pretty much because almost none of them are encrypted because most of your units are already the money spent in the, pre- uh, spent in the precision of the device and and uh, not much else, right? Not certainly not the cybersecurity of it. So the gauges are extremely, you know, especially with flexion, you know, even the stuff you run through, that's the reason why you run a pig through them anyway, is to also get some of the, how has this pipeline changed over time? Uh, type of stuff, what expansion it has it have, you know, how much typical vibration or any cracks in it, that sort of stuff. And so when you run something through there, it's, you know, this amazing piece of analysis equipment that gets shot through the thing at high speed uh, and, and the gauges that go along around it as you shoot the pig through it, um, you know, bring all, a lot of that data back. Highly spoofable. I don't, because the perf- profusion of the devices you can actually just, uh, as they did with, um, as, as uh, Gary explained how it happens with a GPS, one or two of the units can go out and it's not that big a deal. You can you can make some some really nice guessing and some information smoothing uh, to make all that stuff look really, really good and not worry about individual sensors. It'd be very, very tough to attack the whole ecosystem unless you had a control of the HMI, which gets us back to brittle operating mm-hmm. systems and data collectors, uh, which still ends up being the biggest attack surface of the whole thing. So. So yes, they are. Is it that big a problem? I don't think so. It's certainly not something to go and address over an entire pipeline, you know, at, at any point in time, unless you had some communication issues, uh, you know, out of the pipeline. And, and I'm more worried about the substations and the pumps than I than I ever would be about any of the, the, uh, that other stuff. But uh, that being said, when it comes to these other systems, to the ship systems, that's very specific to cavitation. And one of the problems that Gary uh, just highlighted uh, off of Savannah, or was it Charleston? I forget which one it was that, that, that had the problem with the listing ship. Some of that was the anti-sinking pieces uh, that that uh, that actually started filling up all of a sudden and started trying to sink the boat. So the system that was supposed to save the boat or the ship um, started trying to sink it. And and you can see that if you ever go to a hack the port and it's run by um, the, the ICS village, they actually have one of those that actually has the anti-sink they got a canoe that they put in a big old pool and then they have right there. And then you can actually try to sink the ship. Hell of a lot of fun um, if you want to do it. And by the way, it runs off Modbus. There's your hint. Right. Uh, so, 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 <laughs> so uh, if you want a, an attackable protocol, I'd be a little bit more worried about that for exactly the reasons Gary said. So um, when it comes to these systems, the biggest problem, the threat actors we have right now, and this is unfortunate, is even some of the manufacturers of the systems themselves because they want to make them supportable at a distance. So they leave holes open, not meaning to stuff she used to show up on Shodan all the time, doesn't as much anymore. Um, but there's certainly still a lot of problems whenever it comes to those skids uh, being pushed out onto to commercial stuff. Uh, when it comes to military, not as many problems, but uh, you know, your your the big problem you have with the military there is that your commercial maritime can be nearly as large as impact as highlighted by Gary when it comes to those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, uh, where they can be supremely impacted by what goes on in the commercial world. Um, and we've seen that in supply chain. We've seen that in just blocking ports and everything else like that. So um, it's just it, 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 it's a ginormous problem. 
uh, Gary's right. We need to find a, a less brittle way of getting things to, to do things. And then not maybe you can get something not brittle that is brittle, but then would become resilient because the way you set it up, um, you can have an OS or something else like that. This is usually considered fairly brittle, but because of the way you deploy that ecosystem, it's less so. We see the start of this in zero trust, but that's a journey more than it is a destination. Uh, whenever it comes to it, um, hoping some of that stuff makes it onto uh, some of the maritime uh, infrastructure that we currently have um, and that, you know, that still progresses at a very, very fast rate. You know, one of the big problems is everybody's like, we're going too fast. Actually, I'm going to throw this out there as one of my closing statements. I don't think we're going fast enough yet. Getting back to the smaller ships, doing more re- renewables, maybe some more automation to help start doing some of the things a little bit better than even the humans are doing them now and, and provide a little bit more data because we usually with more data, uh, becomes better decisions. And uh, so, like I said, I, I, I don't think we're moving too fast. I think we're not moving fast enough at this point to be better. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're at the end now. That's not a, a, a good closing comment, just sort of overall, right? Um, we need to pick up pick up speed and get underway. You, you both made some great points. There were a lot of really great comments. Uh, you know, we don't just get questions. People sort of are also having a dialogue with our team while you guys are talking and a lot of really positive things about things you both you both mentioned. I, I, you know, I couldn't agree more. You made some some really great points about uh, various aspects of this, and I think this for a lot of us, this is like peeking under the covers uh, of uh, you know of a, a sector we haven't really you know looked at, and uh, it's it's the same everywhere, and it, it is the same as like even the previous panels. We're not talking about just human life or safety. You know, that's popular and for good reason to be talking about that. But you, you know, your idea, Gary, of is moving a, you know moving fishing fleets into somebody else's territory and the economic impact. I mean. It's it's an array. It's a it's a set of circles, right? Of, of various kinds of risks, and uh, and any human life is is maybe in the center of it. And it's super important. But oh my gosh, the number of applications to do things for you know for bad reasons is is uh, unlimited. You got me going on a number of scenarios in my head. Like oh yeah, you guess you could do this too. And, the Navy uh, has the biggest budget for a reason. That's all I gotta say. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, we are out of time. Thank you both very much for today and for doing what you're doing. Like I said to the aviation folks, uh, this is really critical work. We all benefit from whether we're we're observing what people are like you are doing in the industry on our behalf. So thank you for that, prepping for today and for doing follow-on sessions uh, in our 100 days of transportation cybersecurity. I'm really looking forward to going going deeper with uh, with each of you. So thank you for all that. Pleasure, Gary. Thank you for doing this with me. Really appreciate it. Love the comments. can't wait to work with you again on something. Thanks, Jim. Me too. All right, gents. Thanks a bunch. Bye-bye. Thanks, Derek. Bye-bye.